this podcast is made possible by Heap, a smarter approach to product analytics. Learn everything about your users, run rapid experiments, and iterate quickly. For hypothesis-driven product managers, there's no better tool. Learn more at heap.io. Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. What I'm doing today is I'm presenting about platforms, um, also talking about my journey, um, and then would also describe how do you actually convert a product into a platform and what that entails and how some successful companies have done that really well. As a product manager, um, traditionally I've seen three types of products. One is, and this is based on my experience, which I'll talk about um, in the upcoming slides. Number one is marketing products where it's very B2C focused, it's very consumer focused. The second ones I've worked on is very data specific. So like data products, understanding um, insights coming out of data. So I worked for Discovery Channel and I did a lot of that. And then recently I've seen a wave of platform products. What that means is they're very infrastructure heavy and they open the doors for uh, other companies to come in and collaborate with you. So the definition which I really like about platform is when the economic value of everybody contributing to the ecosystem is actually more than the company which creates it or more than the company which facilitates it, um, that's when it actually truly becomes a platform. And what does that mean? If you think about Uber, or even if you think about some of the social media companies, all of these companies have facilitated conversation between producers and consumers. Producers being who produce the content, um, which could be a YouTube content or a social media content. Consumers could be who actually consume that uh, content which is tailored for that audience. And as you actually build uh, this ecosystem, the value which you get out of this ecosystem is more for the audience than the company which facilitates it. Now you could argue, is, are you talking about dollar value? Are you talking about um, the content which I see on, on YouTube? Um, and I think we'll get into that detail later on, but this definition to me is, is a definition of a true platform because a product, a traditional product, um, which is not a platform, might have closed boundaries and might not open uh, producers to come in and produce whatever the value they want to produce out of the platform. So the next slide is uh, what comes first, is it a product or is it a platform? And as product managers, um, why do we care about platforms? And I think this question is important because it's like a chicken and egg situation. Back in uh, late 90s with the dot-com uh, bubble, every company was thinking product from a very traditional point of view. What that means is if I'm building a product, I want to build a brand, whether that's pets.com or whether that's amazon.com. I want to build a brand. I want customers to come in and drive value out of that brand. But as you actually went into 2005, 2008, um, especially Apple, uh, they started realizing that if we open um, their specific products for other players to come in and contribute, that actually dri would drive more value. And I think a very good example of that is an iPod, which was a product and then your Apple iPhone, which is a platform, because it opened the app store for other, other companies and other developers to come in and actually build apps. So to me, like product traditionally came first, and it had a very brand-specific philosophy of building a brand and getting customers out there. Platform 
is slowly transitioned into um, in a more of a democratic society where they want to open these products and let other peoples come and innovate. Obviously, there are challenges as you do that because other companies might um, might innovate specific to their requirements and it might not align with your principles. And that's why there are some challenges as you transition from product to platform. So um, I use Snapchat um, and I have seen some TikTok videos on Twitter and it's quite fascinating, uh, especially like some of the some of the things you can do there. But yeah, I think it's becoming more of a platform for sure. So I'll talk about my journey to product management and how I entered into the platform world. Um, this is, by the way, this is west coast of Scotland where I was hiking and I almost fell in a bog and died. It took me two minutes to come out of the bog, but um, that's, that's very Scottish problems, I guess, um, in, a, in a highlands. And these are all the companies I've worked for. I started as an engineer um, with Virgin Atlantic. And the first role I had was to build e-tickets. So I was writing XML and XSLT code to essentially figure out where the boarding pass number should be, where the gate number should be, where does the eye go when you actually look at your boarding pass. So if you're going for your next holiday to, in Europe, um, I had to think from a consumer standpoint of when they look at the boarding pass, where do they actually look first and where should the gate number should be, what would the font of that gate number should be. So things like that, those gave me really good insight into how the customer thinks. And then I moved into um, more, of, more of a business analysis role uh, for Lotus Formula One. Uh, if you don't know, that's um, a Formula One company, uh, quite popular in Europe. And essentially what I did there was a business analysis between the race engineers and uh, the people who made decisions. So I don't know how many of you know Formula One, but the decisions could be when do you want to pit your car or when do you want to refuel your car, for example. Um, and those decisions are made off of this dashboard. So it was quite demanding and I was gathering requirements from, um, from race engineers. I was then working with engineers to build those dashboards and then coming back and then, so I was almost like a waiter where if the food was good, I used to get the tip. Um, and if something went wrong, I took the blame as well. And then slowly transitioned into product roles for oil and gas, which is on the bottom left, um, which was quite fascinating because now that I've done an engineering role and I've been an intermediary between engineers and business folks, uh, it was a smooth transition to become a business uh, product person. And the products I worked on was data product essentially. So ETL, I don't know how many of you know ETL, but um, data cleansing, data transformation, um, building visualization dashboards. And then recently, um, I've also launched, when I say recently, I mean five years ago, uh, time does go fast. I, I launched my own fashion startup um, shoe company in the UK, and I sold 10, pair of shoe, 10 pairs of shoes a day, which was quite a big achievement for me. I know it's a small number. Um, and so I did that for a few years and then moved to Discovery Channel. And the product I managed in Discovery Channel was Eurosport Player. So it's like Netflix for sports. Um, if you will, in Europe, not everywhere. And they bought, uh, Discovery Channel bought Eurosport Player and it was based out of Paris and uh, I was based in the UK. And essentially what we did was we looked at subscriber data, so people who subscribe to Netflix for sports. Uh, we looked at content data, so the content was Bundesliga, which is German soccer in American terms. Um, and, and also looked at what, what drives them to watch uh, Eurosport Player. And that product was quite fascinating. And then recently, I've been um, with Hotels.com, which is part of Expedia Group in London, and I've just moved to Seattle, and I'm um, working on platform products. So I've kind of done full journey from um, data marketing, um, UX, UI, to platform product management, So, and that's what I'm talking about today.
Brilliant. I'm assuming you might have seen a product lifecycle, so I'm not going to talk about MVP and how a typical product lifecycle works. But still, before I jump into uh, things you have to think of as you're building a platform product, as a product manager, you need to understand how you build traditional products. And by traditional products, I mean products which are not platforms. So product which doesn't facilitate external, external producers to come in and enhance the ecosystem, or products which doesn't allow um, any co-creation of the value uh, with, between producers and consumers. And those traditional products could be um, an iPad, which I talked about. And what you focus on is, you focus on a feature set. Uh, an iPad could offer 100 songs to begin with, if it's iPad Classic or iPod Classic. I meant iPod, not iPad. Uh, it could have a value proposition that could target people who want to listen to music in 2001 and, and still have something in their pocket, uh, which they can reach out to whenever they want. And you could think of the pricing. Um, and I think it's not just iPod, but pricing could be uh, when I worked for Netflix for Sports, um, which I called in Discovery Channel, which was Eurosport Player, they had a freemium model. Uh, what that means is they offer free subscription in the beginning, and then they offer premium subscriptions based on the, your usage, based on what content rights you want. So that is also a very product-centric strategy. It's not a platform strategy because that could saturate really easily. Um, people might might take the free subscription, and then after a week they might cancel it or they might come back. So it's not it, there's no like network effects where people stay on your ecosystem. Because as a platform, remember the number one thing is you increase the value of your producers and consumers are coming, who are becoming part of the ecosystem. And it doesn't saturate that quickly. There's, there's a level of stickiness. And in product, you try and understand your addressable markets. You understand the need of your customers. You understand what channels you want to promote your uh, product through. Uh, so that's a very traditional linear approach. You build something, people come and use it. Uh, you price it in a way that your addressable market agrees with, and then you rely on um, um, people who like your brand, for example. Even companies like Nike, um, some of the shoe companies are realizing that just by building brand, you can only reach to a level uh, of growth. And beyond that, you really need to think of how to open your product to the external market to make it more innovative. And to me, that's where the linear pipeline model of the product is changing more towards platform products. The next slide I have is, once they were companies, now they are platforms. What does that mean? And how do companies shift from products to platforms? So in, remember in the previous slide, we talked about the addressable market. We talked about what features you want to develop for your customers. I think from a platform perspective, you think of being a facilitator. You want to facilitate conversations between producers and consumers. You want to let the producers of the infrastructure to develop um, as, as they see fit, and then consumers to find things which they're looking for. And I think some of the matchmaking apps are a really good example of that. Even Uber is a really good example of that, where they let producers come in, um, which producers who provide value, and then you've got consumers who want to use that um, ride in Uber, for example, or in Lyft as, example, as an example. And as, as this grows, you see more and more of network effects. What that means is as more and more producers come in, um, you see more consumers. Obviously, it's a chicken and egg problem, and you have to start from somewhere. But as more um, content is created in the video streaming platform, for example, or as more riders uh, come on um, in Uber or some of these companies, you see more consumers coming in because they know the wait time would reduce. Um, they don't have to wait for the car because there's more riders. They don't have to um, queue up, and they don't. And the pricing also. Uh, there's a monopoly in pricing because now you control the market, so now you control the pricing as well which to me is, is a very good perspective of how you can grow the ecosystem. And that's where I think 
platform infrastructure uh, is really important because when you're facilitating these conversations, you need to understand what that infrastructure looks like. You need to understand what that operating system looks like. And that's where being a platform product manager, you have to be technical because um, you're essentially building that infrastructure. But you're all, what, are, what you're also doing is you're facilitating the conversation and that's where you get signals. You get a lot of data. An example could be a food tech company. Um, there's one company in the UK called Deliveroo, and I'm sure there's DoorDash and other similar companies in the US. But they have so much data, they know what people order from what restaurants at what time. And I think that's very powerful because ultimately, um, as more and more people order from these apps, they understand the behaviors and they get right signals of what products or what content or what restaurants would make more sense on this app for what audience. Uh, and that's where they start getting network effects as well. This um, metric, which I took from a book called From Platform Revolution and How Network Markets Are Transforming the Economy, it's, it's quite good because as a product manager, if I'm developing platform products, um, what am I actually measuring? And I think this answers that question. You're measuring the participants in your platform. Who are the folks who are participating? So your customers are not just people who consume your product, but people who produce um, whatever value you want to produce in that ecosystem. And I think measuring the number of participants and how they, how they produce value is very important. And obviously the second one is what is the value unit which you drive for? So for Facebook, the value unit would be um, all, all, the, all the feed you see on the Facebook page. For Twitter, it could be the tweets you see on Twitter. What are the value units for your platform? So understanding that value unit is really important as a product manager. And then lastly, what algorithms or filters you have to apply um, for that unit to be consumed by your consumers. So as an example, if you open your Twitter feed, um, the algorithm might be designed just for you of what you want to see on Twitter. And to me, that's an algorithm or a filter which is applied to the consumer. So I think that gives a really good starting point for a platform product manager to think of um, to facilitate some of the platform interactions. And that's how you can grow your platform as well. In a marketplace world where you have a supply and demand side of things, you have to first build a brand or at least offer something to one of these. I think PayPal is a good example where when PayPal started, um, they struggled because they didn't get into the door of big banks. And, and I think they quickly realized that if you want to grow, they, they have to offer something free to the customers. And they started offering $10 if you join PayPal and $10 for referral. And then even that kind of saturated after a while because you, know, you can only get so many customers by that. And then they realized if they do partnerships and, and that's where they partnered with eBay, where PayPal became one of the um, payment company with, who partnered with eBay and, and that kind of worked really well for them. And slowly, obviously, eBay acquired PayPal. Um, so I think it's hard for somebody to start as a platform company. Maybe, maybe as, as platform gets more and more, more and more decentralized and they don't have um, any, any controls, maybe that might change the world. And I think you've seen some of that in blockchain companies where um, even though they're struggling to monetize some of the ideas, but if you look at the core principle, um, they start as a decentralized um, where they give you tokens as, as, you proof the, the, as you provide proof of the work, essentially. Um, so I don't know how much you know about blockchain, but some of the concepts in blockchain does start fundamentally from a platform perspective rather than a very product-centric way. The next um, topic I had was we talked about B2C companies, but how do you think of platforms from a B2B point of view? And I did give some examples of delinking assets uh, from value. And what this allows you to do is, and I think I gave a farming example where farmland is your asset. 
and the value could be the crop you harvest or uh, anything you grow on that farm. And if you de-link both of them, if you treat asset and a value independently, that's where the value grows exponentially because you get more and more people contribute and find the most efficient way uh, to harvest, most efficient way to figure out what crops should be planted. Um, and then obviously you collaborate uh, with other companies. And I think there are some B2B companies who have done that successfully well, but it's quite hard in the B2B world because your customers could be your developers, your customers could be another company, your customers could be internal developers. Uh, so it's really hard to figure out who the customers are and that's been a biggest challenge when you think of B2B platform products. In a traditional product world, you try and capture the market. You still do that when you're trying to convert your product into a platform. Um, understand the market and build your brand around it. And then opening the door to third party, and I think AWS, we talked about that briefly, how um, as Amazon opened the doors for third party to come in and collaborate and increase the value of it. And then treat both producers and consumers as customers because I think traditionally companies have built their products just for consumers and that has changed now. And find a way to connect not just your customers but connect products to connect customers. And I think social media companies have done that really well. Um, some, of, some of the other companies such as Uber, uh, delivery, food delivery tech companies have also done that really well, where they connect not just their customers, but they also start have started connecting um, some of the product offerings, some of the different products within their ecosystem. And I think that's where platform to me is becoming more of an operating system in life. Um, so in future, if if everything becomes more ambient computing, and what I mean by that is in your home, if your table has sensors, your uh, chair has sensors, um, you could instantaneously get signals and um, and, and you could improve uh, not just your home setting, but you could improve your ergonomics and improve how you sit. So that's like an extreme example of like coming platforms coming into, into your world, if you will. And it's not just a product, it's just embedded everywhere. Uh, that could be the end game of like uh, embedding platforms in our day-to-day -day life and improving them based on just your specific needs, where producers and consumers could be actual people living their life. So as a platform product manager, say for example, you're a product manager who's responsible for a platform. These are really important questions you should ask, ask yourselves. So for example, number one is, shall I build my products to be externalized? Are the values and principles uh, I, I need to adhere to would allow me to make this product open source? Um, and I think there's a lot of challenges there because you could have a PII or a PCI data in your product or platform, which you can't expose to external customers, um, or your product might not be modular enough to expose it to the external customers. And I think the other good one is, how do I build a community of producers and consumers, which is the last one, um, because that's very important. If you don't have a community or a sense of, um, sense of value which they get out of your ecosystem, it's really hard to grow your platforms. And I think um, there's a really good website uh, called Mumsnet in the UK, which has built this community for the mums in the UK to ask questions. Quora could be another example where you trust Quora with like asking questions. And it's almost like these companies are building communities. In the olden days, you had a barter system and then you had these tribes. And I think tech is now trying to replicate some of that by building communities. And they're trying to open the barriers of who can come in and answer those questions. And Wikipedia is another example where you could curate content and um, you basically build a community of contributors and people who trust uh, reading that the Wikipedia article would be accurate. And lastly, the, the flywheel concept, um, why platforms are important, how they give you growth. I think this, uh, this flywheel example, which Amazon follows, is a really good example where you have sellers uh, and obviously you have buyers. 
and you get selection from the sellers to give a good ex customer experience based on the traffic you have on your platform. And then as you get more and more buyers and sellers, what that actually does is it provides you leverage to have lower cost structure, which then drives lower prices and then the flywheel goes on again. So I think that's a really good example of how platform drive network effects um, rather than in traditional products. And that's where I think as soon as a platform company uh, understands the market and get into a domain, they easily beat a traditional product company because product company doesn't have that much leverage to keep growing by leveraging some of the network effects. And then lastly, the skill sets. So as a product manager, if you are managing platform products, what skill sets do you need? Um, and I think it varies from what kind of platform it is, but I found personally these, um, these five listed here have been really important for me. Because I started as an engineer, at least having some background in engineering does help. That doesn't mean you have to be an engineer, but I think it's good to ask good engineering questions as you're building platform infrastructure, especially. And having some information on microeconomics is really good from a supply and demand point of view. I love microeconomics, not macroeconomics, because I think microeconomics is more basic and it, it, the laws are, not the laws, but the fundamental principles don't change. But macro, macroeconomics, it's hard to predict with this volatile environment, what's gonna happen from demand and supply. And then obviously um, operations, like how do you build a safe environment where you can facilitate the conversation between producers and consumers? I think some of the social media companies are facing an issue where um, they're not responsible for certain content. Um, and, and it's hard to like build that safe environment. Um, to me, like that operational stuff is really important because you might lose the values and principle you wanna drive out of your platform if you don't keep it safe. Um, and then obviously marketing is really important, understanding the channels through which you can target both uh, your customers, whether that's producers or consumers. And lastly, um, I think this has been helpful for me is understanding some sort of, sort of infrastructure concepts because a lot of platforms are essentially becoming what we traditionally know as, know as infrastructure um, rather than just applications because they're not traditional products. They are uh, building the ecosystem for producers and consumers to come in and contribute. So I think one thing we've talked about is platform does bring stickiness and platform also gives you network effects. And um, because as you join, say for example, Facebook or Twitter, as more and more friends join it, it's really hard to leave any of these social media channels. So to me, like platform does drive stickiness, but I firmly believe that as more and more companies are starting to become platforms, we don't uh, offer the stickiness to, um, from, a, from a dystopian point of view. And I think there's a song which comes to my mind, which is um, Hotel California. And um, I hope as you become platform product managers, you also think of the humane side of things and, and make sure that that stickiness which you offer does not make people addicted in a bad way. So, thank you. This podcast is made possible by Heat, a smarter approach to product analytics. From data-driven hypotheses to product insights, Heap offers product teams a clear pathway from data to decisions. Learn more at heap.io. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.